0: The Healthcare Quality Cast is powered by the Quality Coaching Company. If you'd like to work with us to earn your Lean Six Sigma for healthcare certification or partner with our innovative corporate training and coaching programs to successfully scale your continuous improvement initiatives, then click the link below to learn more and apply. Hey, quality people, welcome to the Healthcare Quality Cast. I'm your host, Jarvis Gray, and in this podcast, we spotlight today's most exciting and inspiring industry leaders. We dive deep into the career journeys of these leaders that work daily to improve quality, safety, and service outcomes for their patients, their family members, and their communities at large. Our mission is to provide motivation and direction to our listeners, encouraging you all to continue your efforts in improving the overall quality of healthcare. Now, let's meet today's quality guests. Thank you for joining in on another episode of the Healthcare Quality Cast, and today I'm here with my guest, Dr. Brent Jackson. Brent, are you ready to share with some quality people? Absolutely. All right, perfect. Well, Brent, we love to start every episode with getting our positive affirmations to get our momentum going for this uh, for this interview and conversation. So I'd love if you could please share a favorite leadership quote or a leadership mindset, but tell us why it appeals to you and how do you apply it on a daily basis?
1: So I think one of my favorite ones is from Henry Ford. And he said, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And I think that really speaks to a positive mindset in pretty much everything that you do if you want to succeed. And if you believe in yourself and you want it badly enough, you know, it's, it's amazing what people can accomplish when they can put their minds to something.
0: Uh, I I love that. And it hits close to home for me, Brent, because I was literally just saying that to my son earlier this week Um, (laughs) here in Atlanta. You know, we just started back to school not too long ago, and he's working on one of his first school projects. He's only seven years old and he was just frustrated. He was like, I don't know if I can. I was like, you are correct. And he was like, huh? And I was like, yeah, if you can't, you're correct. Or if you think you can, you're correct. So, um, I mean, that it applies for every age, every level of profession and success. So I love that mindset to get started with. So next question I have for you, um, Brent would love to really dig in and learn more about you um, to really officially introduce you to our audience of quality people. So I love if you could share um, a background on your current role Um, professional background, and then absolutely what led you into this career path.
1: Okay, thank you for that. And um, I'd like to say also thank you for having me on today. Um, My current role, I'm currently a vice president and chief medical officer of Mercy General Hospital, which is a dignity health facility in Sacramento, California. Um, My background, I was a general surgeon, a practicing general surgeon for 15 years before I'd made the transition into administration. I started out um, as a medical director doing just transactional utilization management for an independent practice association. And then a dignity health recruiter found me um, on LinkedIn and thought I might be a good fit for their physician advisor role at Mercy General Hospital. And the short version of the long story is that I ultimately ended up accepting that job and was in that role for about a year until Our chief medical officer at the time um, applied for and was successful in getting a CEO job at one of our sister facilities and I threw my hat in the ring and um, for his job as chief medical officer and was successful in getting promoted. Um, And what led me into this career path, you know I left clinical practice about six years ago and. um, you know, at that time, it hadn't yet hit the lay public, but it was certainly something discussed in physician circles was physician burnout. And um, I had, you know, pretty much had what I could take of clinical practice, I just couldn't take it anymore. And I walked away from it and didn't realize that I had burned out that took about, you know, nine months to a year off just to kind of reflect upon, you know, what made me just walk away from this. and. That's when I realized that one day the light bulb went off and I had out. burned and in reflection upon it, you know, burnout is insidious. You don't realize it's happening when it's happening. And the deeper you get into it, the more blind you become. Keep putting your head down and try to keep going. And it just becomes the headwinds keep getting stronger and stronger. And ultimately you just get tired. Um, and I realized I had become my career and, um, the transition into um, my current career path is I wanted to support those who are still in practice, so it kind of gave me a new why.
0: So it's intriguing to to learn that really quickly about your brand that you know burnout led you you know into that transition into the into an administrative role. Um, one of the things that I'm personally working through right now is is a new set of goals. So I, I kind of go through my own personal goal setting year. Uh, my birthday is in September, and so that's kind of what I use as the start of my personal goal year. Um, and one of the things that I'm building on right now is this mindset of legacy. And so I, I love to maybe throw that at you from you know, what you were doing as a physician leader, experiencing some personal burnout, and now transitioning into um, a leader, an administrative role you know, for your organization. Um, what are some thoughts would you have around just connecting career, legacy, um, long-term success? Because I, I've I imagine that burnout feelings happening in a lot of areas, especially as we continue to push through, you know, COVID and everything else. But I'm just curious for that. And it's part, you know, personal interest, but definitely um, I, I hope that it resonates with our listeners when they kind of get to this part of our conversation with, you know, how do you manage burnout? how do you pivot around career? But, you know, ultimately, how do you start to frame up a career or even just a life of a legacy and making the right impact on the teams and the people you support?
1: Yeah, so that's a great question. And when you first mentioned the word legacy, the light bulb did go off in my head. Mm-hmm. Because um, you know, if I think about the legacy that I want to leave behind, it's that I made a positive impact on the culture of our institution, and that I made lives better for the physicians and APPs who are still in practice.
0: And yeah, that that mindset, you know, connecting it back to burnout, um, I think that's just important for you know all of our audience members to be aware of. You know, kind of pace yourself or acknowledge, you know, if you need to take a time out. Um, I again appreciate. Hearing that you said you took a year off to kind of step back and you know really kind of collect yourself um so you know kudos to you for for having that acknowledgement and again congrats just with that transition into leadership um i hope that's that's excelling everything you you know kind of reinvigorating that passion you have for healthcare. so wonderful there the absolutely no i love hearing that um Brent, let me take you to this next question, and it kind of plays in the same tone, and then I promise you I am going to pick up the, uh, the tone for our conversation here, but um, I've been famously kind of calling this the dark place question, um, because I love to, you know, learn from you, um, what was the best moment of failure that you've experienced as a healthcare leader? We'd love for you to take us through that moment, you know, tell us the story, but most importantly, tell us the lessons learned that
1: you gained from that moment. So it really again comes back around to I thought I thought long and hard about this. And and it comes back around to when I transitioned out of clinical practice and decided to make the pivot to administration. Um backing up a few years in my surgical career, you know, the best years of my career were when I was with a small group in San Diego, a small group of six surgeons. And, you know, we pretty much tailor our own practice to the kind of cases we're Liked doing that things we enjoyed getting expertise in and things that I didn't necessarily have have interest in my part one of my partners would and so we we, you know referral come to me and I'd give it over to them and vice versa if it was something that they didn't care for and I cared for and we really had a good working relationship and um but then back around 2010 um there were a number of um number of new regulations and laws that were coming down the pike that didn't look like they were going to be very favorable for small group practices. And at that time, I was as busy as I wanted to be, I was doing about 450 cases a year. And I didn't want to work any harder than that. And I probably wouldn't have even been safe, it would have been, you know, too much assembly line and less personal care. But what that means is, is that, you know, my revenue was static, but my overhead kept going up a bit every year. And so, you know, Revenue minus overhead equals what you get to pay yourself. And so um, my income over the previous two years had started to slowly decline. And I saw the writing on the wall that you know this. I didn't think this was going to be sustainable. And so I left for an employed position in a, um, in a multi-specialty group. And what I didn't realize at the time that I valued most was what I lost when I made that transition. And that was autonomy, and that was kind of the first. As I looked back upon it, that was kind of like one of the first elements that led to burnout, was that loss of autonomy. And then there were other things that are more famously spoken about, like the um, burden that the EHR places upon your workflow, and, and all of those things, and um, just all of it together. Plus, I, I I will freely admit that you know I liked a lot of the people I worked with, but I was my practice style and my probably my personality just was not a good fit with the organization and so again that kind of led to kind of contributed as well and so when i um i just kept pushing harder and harder and i didn't really have much of a recreational outlet either and what i realized you know after i had kind of walked away from my clinical career my family thought I was nuts by the way to throw away my everything i've worked so hard for my whole life but i i just couldn't do it anymore, and I realized one number one, I had become my career, and I think that's one of the things that if someone can reflect upon themselves and see if they've become their career, they're probably on a path to burnout, and you really need to take time away from your career, develop outside interests. It's through this I I learned the importance of self care. You know, now that I'm in this administrative role, I you know I take time every morning to meditate. Um, I do some gardening on the weekends. I've I played guitar for a number of years, and I picked that back up. And um, on the weekends, just some things that allow me to express myself in other areas, not think about work, and just, um, you know, I feel like I'm on a very healthy path now, and not, and nowhere near progressing towards the path of burnout, no matter how busy things have gotten. Even that's
0: wonderful. And again, I mean, I, I personally, I'm you know, excited that you found that for yourself. Um, I'll admit outside of just, you know, coming across your previous podcast um, interview on the Becker's Podcast Show, um, when I did connect with you on LinkedIn and one of the first headlines here says, talks about guitar and self-care, those absolutely piqued my interest Uh, in my head. I was like a a physician leader that's in a band. That was exactly where my head went first. but no, I, I love again just that focus to take the time and you know focus on self care. Um, I, I wanted to kind of explore that. I mean, what what messages you know would you have for yourself if you could almost go back and and coach the the prior you know Brent Jackson up a little bit before getting to that point of burnout? Um, any messages you give your prior self? And again, I'm I'm asking that. hopes that if any of our listeners are kind of having similar feelings that they could just pause now and start to coach themselves up appropriately as well
1: yeah i mean i can't stress important stress the importance too much of um you know don't become your career um you know work to live don't live to work um there's a time and a place for everything and you know that's why we have weekends. And we need to take advantage of those. That's why we have vacation time. We need to take advantage of that. For those people who may be entrepreneurs, I know there's no such thing, but you, but you need to um, take some time away just to recharge. And when you come back at it, you'll be surprised how how much easier things will come to you. Um, you got the mind, the mind, just the biological nature of the mind. It needs time to recharge, and um, I think of it like a spring, you know, it, um, you have to, you keep stretching it and stretching it, you got to let it recoil before you can stretch it again, and um, it's not, it's only going to stretch so far.
0: Right, perfect. I, I saw this uh, clip on social media somewhere. I don't know if it was Facebook or some other, you know, social media, you know, channel, but um, it was a picture of a guy holding a cup under a, a running faucet. And under that cup he had a second cup and so essentially the, the story that he was trying to tell with this visual, is that you have to focus on filling your cup up first, before you can fill others up and so he did a demonstration like what it looks like if you, if you fill your cup up but then continuously fill up other cups without filling your cup up again, versus what it looks like if you just constantly focus on filling your cup up and then what overflows will also fill up the other cups. Um, I, I hope that makes sense to describe it, you know, in a podcast or audio session like this. But to watch that visual, um, you know, it just clicked. I ended up sharing that with a few friends along the same mindset, which is just essentially, you know, focusing on recharging or, you know, almost the mindset when they tell you on the plane, you know, put your mask on first before you help others. So, um, so again, no, thank you for that mindset, um, Brent. And I want to, I want to dig you up out the uh, dark place now, and, and let's get to a few more, you know, takeaways to drive home with our audience today, but um, I love if you could share with our audience of quality people a tip, tool, or tactic that you found works really well for uh, building intimate connections on the teams that you lead. Uh, if you could, please share with us what it is, and how do you
1: apply it? Yeah, I, I think that's a good one. Um, you know, the the best teams, I think, you know, I, I read somewhere that the the definition of a team is a small group of individuals with a shared goal and who have mutual trust and accountability. And as opposed to a work group, which is a large number of people who really just kind of get together, divvy up tasks, and, and get their piece of the pie done then bring, bring it back to the next meeting. Um, a team creates something that is greater than the sum of the individual components, whereas the work group just creates and it is the sum of the individual components. And to develop that mutual trust and accountability really depends upon relationship building and you need to when you pull your team together for the first time and you need, really need to invest in you know developing relationships with them and fostering them to develop relationships and with one another um, when you have that, come together, bring the right group of people together for a problem, bring the right questions. Um, maybe bring a potential solution, but don't be wedded to it, but something to get the conversation started. And then ultimately allow for shared decision-making and let the team solve the problem. You pitch the idea, let them solve the problem. And then they have ownership of it.
0: Yeah, and I was just gonna jump in with that piece. That ownership piece at the very end, I think is, is key. Um, and it, honestly, it kind of takes me back to my question even about legacy. I mean, when you can develop teams, and have them take ownership of you know the problems, the solutions. Um, you're leaving a legacy. You're growing your team. Um, and they say that's the mark of good leadership is you know how many leaders can you produce. So um, love that mindset. Um, any other takeaways before we we jump off of that one and into the next question?
1: No, I think I think that's really. If I had to say you know just one thing that um, that I think really has helped me um, kind of develop solutions um, on a team-based model. That's really it. Awesome, love it. Um, next question
0: I have for you, <clears throat> excuse me for that. Um, I'd love if you could share with us one of the best aha moments that you've had as a healthcare leader, but again, share with us you know, the background story, how did that idea strike you? And most importantly, if you were able to turn it into a personal or
1: a professional success. So this goes back to, again, my transition from clinical practice into administration. And I'll go back even further back when I was in practice, um, it was probably around 2009. I kind of had a random thought about going back to getting an MBA. And I thought about it for a while and I researched it. And I thought, you know, now as busy as I am, my clinical practice, there's no way I could swing a a degree program too. And then here's a funny thought, the thing that was really the nail in the coffin for that time was, Oh yeah, I forgot. You got to pay tuition. Never mind. You know? <laughs> um, but then when I um, fast forward now to 2016, when I was taking my year off, it was—and this is why I said nine to nine to months to a year off—because I did end up taking a year off, but at around nine months, it was actually in, in towards the end of August, almost the time current time now back in 2016 is when that light bulb went off and I reminded myself about in the past wanting to do an MBA and I thought you know now might be the right time to do that, and so I. um, I started looking i'm in sacramento currently and I was looking at you know what are my options and really there were two that piqued my interest one was sacramento state, the other one was uc Davis and. Being my having gotten my undergraduate degree at a UC school, UC San Diego, I was kind of partial towards a UC school. And so I, it was right before Labor Day weekend, in fact, it was Labor Day weekend, that I sent an email out to their informational email address requesting additional information. And to my surprise, someone actually replied to me over the weekend. And so we set up an informational interview for me to come in on um, that following Wednesday. And I came in and spoke with the um, recruiter about their part-time MBA program. And um, it was too late in the year for consideration for the full-time one, but they did rolling admissions for the part-time. And we talked about it and I decided, okay, I'm going to apply, what's my timeline look like? And she's like, well, buckle up if you want to to get into this year. You'll need to have everything in by not this coming Friday, but the Friday after that, which includes your application, your personal statement, two letters of reference from a C-level individual, and your GMAT scores, plus all your transcripts and all of that. And I'm like, okay, um, I'll see what I can do. And so I ended up um, reaching out to a couple of C-level individuals I knew who were um, hospital presidents or or otherwise executives in the healthcare field who had encountered. Took got two out of two yeses for a reference. Sat down to write my um, personal statement that came pretty easily. Fill out the application. Now that you can get the or transcripts online, that was pretty easy to do. It's a far cry from. The old days when you had to write a letter and send it out requesting things you know um so things move pretty quickly now um but that brings me to the gmat and you know um i hadn't done anything mathematical in years other than balancing my checkbook and the gmat had fairly rigorous mathematical stuff from you know college and high school that i hadn't done in 30 years you know i mean. Factorials, oh my God, what are those? And the laws of exponents and, and all of these things. And so I did a crash course on this stuff over the weekend. And then um, that following Monday took the GMAT, um, and it was one of those on um, Pearson Test Center. So you get your score immediately. And I'd done a couple of practice ones over the weekend as well. When I got my score from the GMAT, I was actually, I was disappointed. I, I wanted to do better, but that was that competitive drive that got me into med school and all that. Um, but it was good enough ultimately of a score to to get in, um, and so I got everything into them by um, Wednesday. Got my acceptance on Friday and started orientation for classes on Saturday, and so it was it was a pretty wild um, week and a half.
0: Oh, well, so the, the the few takeaways I was over here jotting a few notes as you were sharing your story. So I mean again, one, using your downtime, your personal time to recharge, finding the inspiration to level up, so to speak, you know, to go ahead and do something for personal growth and development. Um, love that. And again, that's, that's just something I wanted to highlight for our listeners. Taking that time, you know, you can find the the space to achieve some of those goals that you may have put off for some time. So I love that um, focus that you took advantage of during that time. But then, you know, you want to be successful at something, and you are on the crunch to do a lot of work in a very little bit little bit of time. I think I plotted out about four or five days, and what you got all of that done as you were sharing your story there, Brent, um, which just tells me when you have the drive and you get the recharge, you'll get it done. You'll figure it out. You'll knock knock it out. And to to get it done by that Wednesday with two days to spare, by Friday get accepted, start an orientation on Saturday. I mean, that's like just you know, that's all out. I'm in, right? That's all our commitment to the goal. So um, great takeaway, great commitment. Um, again, I hope that resonates to all of our folks once they're setting goals and put their mind to it. I mean, that's just, it's game on, time to take action. Um, any any other takeaways for uh,
1: from that story on that? Well, I'll tell you, when I sat back at orientation, I just kind of looked around and said, took a deep breath inside and, and it's like, I made it.
0: like it's all downhill from here (laughs) that's
1: right all right no
0: fantastic um uh, i love that story i really appreciate hearing that one um next question i have for you what are some current changes that are going on across the healthcare industry right now that you're excited about and what role um of course i'll say what role do you see quality professionals playing but um brent i will also ask What role do you even see physician leaders or future physician leaders playing to support or promote
1: its longevity? Yeah, so that's a great question. And, you know, I think we're all familiar with the famous Institute of Medicine um, report talked about preventable um, errors and deaths in, in the healthcare setting. And of all the literature that's been done around that, I'll preface what I'm about to say by saying that. I think the numbers to some degree are overblown, but that said it still is a real opportunity there still are harm events that are occurring in the hospitals There are errors that are reaching patients. And it's incumbent upon us to do everything that we can to prevent those. And the unfortunate thing is that people just seem to keep getting busier and busier and that increases the likelihood of people making errors and so um, high reliability organization principles have been. Are being rolled out to healthcare settings and there's been a tremendous adoption of these and organizations that have um implemented hro um, have seen their serious safety error events rate error event rates drop by 80 percent which is huge um and for those who may not know of hro high reliability high reliability organization studies started in academia and it was the study of three industries where they have the potential for catastrophic events should an error occur but yet given the nature of their operations they have fewer than their fair share of such events and those three industries are the nuclear power industry aircraft carriers and the commercial airline industry if you think about those three um you don't you haven't heard about a chernobyl or a three mile island in a long time and you don't hear about 747s falling out of the sky on a regular basis. As many as as many flights as there are, it's miraculous that, that um, you can feel safe getting on a plane. And then to talk about aircraft carriers, you know, this is um, you've got a crew of four thousand people of the age between the ages of eighteen and twenty six on a flight deck where pretty much everything is actively trying to kill you, but yet they don't have catastrophic events on the daily either. So what is it about these industries that makes them safe, even though the consequences of just one mishap would be catastrophic? And it's these communication tools that they use to ensure closed-loop communication, cross-checking one another to decrease error rates. Um, Anyway, these higher-level organization um, principles are taught by a few different organizations and we've we got one at our hospital to come in and we've started instituting this and it's really an exciting time to see this roll out because just in the short time that we've um started with some of this and even our training is incomplete we've already seen about a 20 percent drop in our sser or serious safety event rate and and we're we've got a pretty high quality hospital to begin with and so but everyone has opportunity and including us and I, it's just really exciting to see this roll out because it's kind of the mother test, you know, would you want your mother having care in your hospital? And you know i can I can unequivocally say yes, you know to that. Um, and what role do I see physician leaders playing in this or and quality people going forward? it's It's the adoption of these tools. It is the modeling of these tools for those who are not leaders um and for those whom you do lead so that they can see that the leader not only is talking the talk, they're walking the walk. And, and that carries the greatest element of credibility. And especially when they can see the value of these tools being used in action, it's far greater to drive organic adoption rather than trying to just um give someone a, a, a large bill they have to swallow.
0: That's wonderful. And I, I love that answer or, or what I love about that answer. I mean, I know I geared it towards physician leaders and quality people, but I mean, when we're talking high reliability, we're talking literally everyone um, from, you know, frontline staff to the janitor service, to the chefs back in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. So um, wonderful uh, wonderful answer, wonderful reply there. Um, let me turn this question around for you um, just to kind of connect the dots on that. Um, what can the healthcare industry itself do to become a more attractive place for you know, the future quality leaders, um, administrative leaders, physician leaders themselves to come in and wanna start and grow their careers uh, in healthcare?
1: So that's a really good question too. And I would say that since your audience is primarily quality leaders, I'm gonna gear it to your audience. Um, You know, one thing that I discovered since coming into this role, and I kind of suspected even when I was on the clinical side, is we have all of these different agencies that provide quality scores to our hospitals. There's the CMS star rating, there's Leapfrog, there's U.S. News and World Report, and, and others. And they each use different criteria. And I've seen reports for hospitals where they get like, Three stars on CMS and A on Leapfrog, and US News and World Report says they're the worst hospital in the country. And you look at their what metrics they're looking at, and they're not all that different. So, how did they come to such different conclusions? And I think it has to do with the inter rater consistency or inter rater reliability amongst these different organizations. And, you know, I guess they all want to have something unique to offer. They want to have. Their sustainable competitive advantage—what makes them unique compared to the others—and so they're not going to come together necessarily to have on, to agree on a, on a individual on individual standards because then they would all there would be nothing to differentiate them. But if there's some way they could um, find an area to specialize in, or if they could somehow um, in the areas where they do overlap, come up with consistency in their measures. I think it would give people far more tangible goals to reach towards and make quality that much more meaningful. Sometimes I feel like with these different organizations, it's teaching to the test and checking off the box to get the score rather than actually truly trying to improve quality. And I've always said that quality can be measured, but it's difficult to do so. So we pick metrics that are supposed to approximate what it is we're supposed to be measuring. And sometimes those metrics hit the mark, sometimes they don't. You think back to college, you, you know, you, how many times have you taken a test where when you walk out of the test you say, there was nothing that the professor covered during the quarter that was on that test. Well, that was clearly a metric that was poorly reflective of what was supposed to be accomplished in the course, which is learning the material. And if you walk out saying that was a really fair test, you know, um, that test pretty much reflected what the professor covered then you know that's probably a good metric, and you know I think we need to spend more time looking for good metrics and less on the ones that are the aha gotcha ones.
0: Now, I, I sincerely appreciate that mindset, um, and I've had this conversation with a number of colleagues about all of the different bodies that you know that test us, um, that grade us for quality and other indicators. Um, I've said myself i'd love to see you know even if they're going to have multiple things out there if they would even test us on the process not just the outcomes because that's really what's going to drive change um so i i love just that that mindset and that feedback there um i don't even know if like i had so many thoughts that i was kind of jotting down as you were sharing um i'll let it go because I, I think this could be a whole nother podcast episode <laughs> to some degree but yeah there's There's a lot out there um, and and I I love the mindset that you shared there. Um, Brent, let me move you into a part of a conversation now that I call our two minute drill. So I I had the fortune of playing football back in my young days. Um, And so this is kind of my take now on a rapid fire Q&A, Brent, but before we jump into it, just wanna check and see how you are you feeling? You ready to rock and roll? You're all right, ready to go. All right, perfect. Well, the first question I have for you is something of a two-parter. Where I would love if you could tell our quality people something about your current role that inspires you to do your best, but then also share with us, how do you inspire others within your organization?
1: So we've got a really high quality medical staff. And when I was in practice, I always enjoyed working with other high quality docs. And, you know, even though I'm no longer in practice, I see the work that our docs do on a day-to-day basis. And so um, our docs inspire me and I'm there to serve them and to make their lives, to improve their professional lives as much as I can. And so um, how do I ins- how do I inspire them? There's two main tools that I have. Um, you know, one is I have a newsletter that I send out every Friday called Happy Friday Docs. Pre-COVID, it was just kind of a lighthearted newsletter um, with um, pictures of staff recognitions in them and uh, maybe a couple of important news to know items. but crack a few jokes and you know just something to end the week on a high note but also get information across to people and and get them to recognize their colleagues you know try to develop that camaraderie and in COVID that turned into a COVID newsletter which really turned it to be like a source of truth for most of our medical staff and they really learned to look to it as something that um, because as busy as they were they'd have a chance to read everything that hit their inbox and I've had them tell me that mine's the only one they read um, and so and I mentioned earlier, recognitions, and, you know, again, this is pre-COVID, we, um, we got something for, you know, pretty much everyone in the hospital, regular ongoing um, recognitions, employee of the month, and, and these orange lay recognitions and everything, but we really didn't have anything to doctors, just on um, physician of the year, and that was it. And so our um, patient experience um, director came up with the idea of having a top doc award. And we made it a badge lanyard that, um, you know, just uh, had our dignity health him on it said Mercy General Hospital top doc on it. And if I get a recognition, a shout out for a doctor, someone emails me and says, it's Dr. X did, you know, and beyond, beyond for this, we catch up with them, um, give them a copy of the write up on cardstock, give them a top doc badge lanyard, take pictures of them with their crew. And then um, we put the pictures and the write up in my newsletter. and. You know and those recognitions have really gone a long way to um towards elevating the spirit and elevating some of that camaraderie and um it's it's really kind of i've i've been told which was a huge statement to hear our hospital's um chair told me that um i turned the culture around in the organization i think that's a far-fetched um statement I, I'd like to think that I had a hand in it, but I, I, I wouldn't say that I did it solely. I think it's my entire executive
0: team. That's wonderful. I'll say so as a as a newsletter junkie, like I anytime I see cool newsletters, I'm the guy signing up for them. Um I hope they are having a positive impact because I, I love a good newsletter that quickly just gives information insights, especially if you know you're adding humor or source of truth. So um Really great job there. I I I had not heard of a physician leader starting a newsletter to other physician leaders. Um, If anything, I'd say docs probably get a bad mark for not even opening up emails most of the time. So um, so no good good job with that. Excited to hear that. That's that's really impressive. Um, Next question I have for you, uh, Brent, is um, what's the best piece of career advice that you've ever received?
1: Listen more and ask more questions. The leadership style that one has as a physician, a practicing physician, and particularly as a surgeon is more command and control. And that's kind of what we've learned coming up through the ranks. You know, it's on when you're a medical school, medical student in your third and fourth year rotations, you're junior to the intern, who's junior to the mid-level resident, who's junior to the senior resident, who's junior to the attending. And orders just roll downhill and you don't really question, you know, going uphill you just take what you were given and get it done and when you come into a role like this especially where in the state of california hospitals can't employ physicians they're all independent contractors and they have a self-governing um, medical staff governance structure um the chief medical officer really it has no power over the medical staff um, so anything i want to accomplish through the medical staff is through influence and that influence comes from building relationships with everyone, to from um, them knowing I have their backs. That trust and accountability piece I spoke about in teams is also important in develop in those relationships with the medical staff. And the way you develop those relationships, you got to listen more than you talk. And you got to ask questions to understand where they're coming from, meet them where they are. Nice. I love it.
0: And if you could trade jobs with anyone in your organization, with whom would it be and why?
1: So you might see this as a cop-out, but I don't want anyone else's job in my organization other than mine. And I wouldn't want to trade with anyone.
0: Not a cop-out but- at all. If uh, if you check out past episodes, a good mix of our, our leaders are like, nope, I am good where I am. <laughs> good. Yeah, you're, you're in great company there. Um, could you please share a personal habit that contributes to your success when leading uh, quality improvement initiatives? So, I think it's,
1: I think this would have to be the way I approach team building. And it's when I have a problem I need to solve and I need to pull a whole group of people to solve it. You know, there's two questions I ask myself one is, who are the right people to pull together? And what are the right questions to ask? And those two are interdependent because some people may not be very receptive to some of the questions, so they would be excluded even though they might be a good mix in the team. And other people might be a poor mix of the team, but they might be the right people to ask the questions to. And so it's kind of putting those two things together that i found when I pull a team together with those two considerations in mind, generally leads to a successful outcome.
0: Wonderful, love it. Um, What is a go-to website or mobile application that helps you to execute on the work that you lead?
1: So this one's going to seem like a cop-out also. And the answer to that is Google. <laughs> the reason, And the reason I say that is, is there's no one single source of truth that I have or that I go to. And so oftentimes if I need to research a topic, that's the first place I'll go. And I'll get a diversity of things that pop up and I'll check out multiple um, sources and generally find the truth by somewhere in between all of them.
0: All right. Not not a cop-out either. Um, many of our or many of our past guests have used Google. Um, and one of my past guests uh, also calls it Dr. a So that makes it sound more <laughs> official. <laughs> um, next question. I, I love if you could share with the quality of people a professional society and a professional
1: conference that you think would be a value add. So a professional society in this sphere, I would have to say the American College of Healthcare Executives. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a member and have been for a number of years. I now that I finished the MBA and, and that's behind me. My next step next year is to work towards my um, fellowship in the American College of Healthcare Executives, um, and that's like my next professional target. I find that they have a lot, uh, a lot to add in their conferences and in some of their um, online curricula that they have. And for professional conferences, I think Becker's um, Healthcare um, Conference is a great one. Um, I haven't been to the big one yet. Um, I was going to go uh, last year, and then COVID hit. And then I was going to go this year, and then COVID ha- was still around. Um, but i participated in a number of their online ones, and I've even been a panelist on a couple of their um, of their virtual forums. And and they really, um, I think Scott Becker really has a wonderful thing going with his um with his conferences and his podcasts and his um his website. I mean his newsletters. I mean, he really hits all elements of the healthcare sphere and stuff that's digestible. And really, people can take away pragmatic lessons.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. So I actually did Well, I did ACHE virtual conference this year for the first time ever um, was really impressed and talking about signing up for newsletters, I think I'm probably on all of the Becker's <laughs> newsletters. Um, so great, great insights there. Uh, Brent, let me ask you this, uh, I mentioned a little earlier in our conversation. So I have a personal process that I use for my goal setting and everything. Um, you just mentioned that you're interested in pursuing your fellow in ACHE. So I, I love to just ask: um, Do you have a personal goal setting process, or how how have you found yourself throughout your career path, um, just coming up with different goals and targets that you personally want to shoot for? Because that's that sounds like a huge part of everything you've done with your your path so far.
1: Yeah, you know, I think. A lot of time, a lot of, if I, if I identify something that I want to do something, something's a motivational drive for something pops up within me. Say, for example, like going back to get my MBA, you know, I look at what do I have to get done? Or what is the goal? Define the goal? What are the steps that I have to take to get there? And what's my timeline? And I think all three of those elements are important in getting from point A to point B. Um if you don't have your your timeline, you can't set um you know timelines for your individual steps. And if you don't know where you're going, if you don't have a final goal defined, you can't define the steps to get there. So I think all of those are kind of played together to go from point A to point
0: B. Fantastic. And again, I, I throw that out there. I, you know, frequently will talk about kind of my goal setting process, but just learning from other leaders, how, how you all, you know, put your goals together. Again, those are the things I really want to push in this podcast As, as you know, emerging leaders, future leaders of the industry start to step up and plug in. So thank you for that. Um, next question I have for you. Uh, do you have a book recommendation that you would love to give for our audience and
1: what is it and why? So I think that the one I would recommend is called The Busy Leaders Handbook and it's by Quint Studer. And um, actually, I connected with Quint on, on LinkedIn. You know, he's a legend in healthcare circles. And he, out of the blue, without telling me he was going to do so, sent me two of his books. And one of them was The Busy Leader's Handbook, and the other one was Building a Vibrant Community. And I'm, I was at both I was simultaneously um, in awe that someone would do that. And somewhat ashamed that um, it was gonna take me so long to read them because I'm such a slow reader. And and I've not been much of a reader. I read a lot of articles in the life but I'm not much of a book reader. I never really have been. But that's changing. Um, And I'm almost halfway through the Busy Leaders Handbook. And it fits me because the chapters are like three pages long. So you can set a goal to finish a chapter and be done with it before you know you've even started and there's and there it's written in such a way that everything is a pragmatic pearl you can take away and start applying immediately and you know some of it was was um reinforcing because some of it was th- some of it wrote about things some of it writes about things that i've already been doing um but then there's other tips and pearls that kind of bridge the gap between some things that i've been doing and some things that i have not and so i always learn something new when picking something up the most recent chapter I read had a, had a line that resonated with me. It said, Sum is not a number and soon is not a time. And that goes, speaks back to your goal setting piece. It's like, you know, you have to quantify your expected output, whatever that is, or define it. And you have to set a firm timeline. You can't just say, soon, what is soon? You know, soon is relative.
0: No, I, I love it. That's an awesome book recommendation, um, Brent. I was very, very fortunate to have had Quint on the on the podcast as well. Um, nice. Yeah, I don't recall which episode number it is, but it was probably roughly around a year ago. Now at this time, um, he blessed me with the same gift. He he sent me copies of the book. Um, so I've, I'm only about halfway through myself. I'm very slow with actual books. Um, I, I tear through audiobooks like nobody's business, but um, I'll give you a heads up to that book. Um, the the Busy Leader's Handbook. He also has a work packet with it as well. So if you ever wanted to, I don't know, reach back out to him, they can send you the work packet. So if you like wanted to facilitate that with your team, you could actually kind of put to get put it together like a small course. So mm-hmm. just a little extra insight because it is a really, really good book. Um, and he has a phenomenal uh, podcast himself. So, yeah, perfect. And great recommendations. Again, that's, that's all, all for the the audience. You know, we could sit here and brag about it all day. Um, last question, Brent, I'm finally right there at the end of, you know, end of my interview with you. But um, this last one, I'm giving you the heads up is a personal favorite, because I want to get you to reflect on your past, why you look forward to your future. So let's say you're able to send yourself one text message to yourself, you know, 10 years into the past another text message to yourself 10 years into the future. Take a second and think about it, but what would you communicate
1: in each one of those messages? So That's a clever question. It really is. I have to commend you for that. Um, I would say that if I had to send my, if I wanted to send myself a text message 10 years into the past, it would be something I already said earlier, which is don't become your career and learn to live. And had I done that and known that back then, I may not have hit position burnout. But then maybe it's good that I did because now I've transitioned into something that is more fulfilling to me. Um, I I don't know the answer to that. But I'm happy where I am now. And if I was to send a text message to myself 10 years into the future, I think the first one would be, are you there? Just to make sure I'm still alive. You know, I mean, who knows, right? Um, But then if I answered, then I would say, how do you like it where you are? And depending upon the answer to that, that might shape a future conversation. Fantastic. Well,
0: you know, it's for your first text message, it's tough kind of to your point because you almost have to go through those experiences to come out to be the person you are today. But um, I'm sure a text message would have given you a good heads up as well. Um, You know, I have to think about that next question. So yeah, I always assume you're definitely gonna be there to respond and receive that text message 10 years in the future. Um, but I, I love, again, just the, the way that you're reflecting on it, you know, are, are are you there? Are you happy with where you are and what comes next? Um, Brent, I'll say just the conversation with you today has been highly reflective from your journey that you've gone through with burnout to the car- career transitions to the continued goal settings, even with, you know, the fellow for ACHE that's going to come up and it's going to come quick for you. Um I did mine a couple of years ago, and it's it's a very very doable process, but definitely pace yourself to to you know um, prepare for that test. Um, but Brent, I, I am honored again just to get this time with you to learn more about you and and to learn more about your story. I know it's going to you know impact a lot of our listeners in a great way. Um, before I let you go today, I would love if you could share just uh, some parting piece of advice for our listeners. Um, share the best way that they can connect with you or follow you on social media and then we'll officially sign off
1: so great conversation thank you for having me on i would say that if i was to give a parting piece of advice i'd say when you put a qi project together identify who will be impacted by it and get to understand their workflows and take their workflows into account so that whatever you come up with doesn't adversely impact the workflow of others or if it must inform them and work with them to minimize that impact and if you have shared decision making and engagement of all the stakeholders you'll tend to have more organic adoption as opposed to resistance Um, that would be the one piece of advice i would give and if someone wants to connect with me the best way to do it is on linkedin just reach out to me with a connection request or if you don't want to connect you can just follow me and um, that is it Wonderful. Brent, thank you so much again. Um,
0: you know, looking forward to getting this published and so it can make an impact on our listeners and just, you know, wish the absolute best for you and your team moving forward. Um, to our quality people everywhere, thank you all for listening and making us a part of your day. This is Jarvis and Dr. Brent Jackson, and we are signing off. Quality people, thank you so much again for plugging in with today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to share it using the social media link posted in the notes below. I'd also be very grateful if you could subscribe, give us a rating, and also share feedback on what additional value we can bring to you through this podcast. That helps a lot with our show rankings and also with getting this great content out to healthcare leaders around the world. And if you want to engage with me directly, then please connect with me on LinkedIn, where I share additional resources, access to our QI community, and much more. All right, quality people, thank you again, and I'll see you back here next week when I introduce you to another quality guest.